Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Welcome to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, where we bring you the latest updates on critical issues and stories from Ukraine and around the world. I'm Zarina Zabriskie, reporting from Kherson. In our last podcast, we dove into a topic of utmost importance, demanding efforts in the Kherson Oblast and Ukraine with Olga Malarchuk, Deputy Head of Military Administration of the Kherson region. In Kherson, a region heavily affected by the war, the situation is dire. Sappers work tirelessly under fire to make the area safe, as Kherson is one of the most heavily mined regions in Ukraine. These brave individuals are dealing with extremely challenging conditions. Last week alone, Ukrainian sappers successfully neutralized 378 explosive devices in areas that were heavily affected by active combat. Ukraine is addressing the challenge of landmines daily, with Prime Minister Denis Mihal recently announcing a substantial allocation of 500 million for mine clearance. This funding is intended for survey equipment, machinery, and equipment for bomb disposal experts. Thanks to contributions from various countries, Ukraine's demining efforts have received vital financial support. Remarkably, this financial help package includes $2 million from Austria, a neutral country. In May 2023, Austrian Chancellor Karl Nehammer clarified that while Austria won't employ troops to the war zone, the country is determined to help financially for mine clearance. Austria's contribution of $2 million to the International Trust Fund and the allocation of funds from the Foreign Emergency Relief Fund are significant steps. This move has garnered widespread support with Austrians as it aligns with the country's dedication to humanitarian causes and safety. To shed more light on Austria's role in this critical endeavor, we have with us today an Austrian journalist, Klaus Gomez Stimeder, currently based in Odessa. We will also look into the Russian recent attacks on the Odessa Oblast. I was born and bred in Austria, and I had a career there as a reporter and then as the founder and the publisher of a monthly. But I actually spent most of my adult life in the U.S. I worked there, I went to college there, and had pretty much all of my life there. At the time the full-scale invasion started, I was actually in grad school in the UK. And the truth is, when I watched what was happening down here, I just couldn't sit still anymore. I, I really wanted to come here and cover what was happening. I have done this sort of reporting before. When I was in my 20s, I covered the tail end of the troubles in Northern Ireland. I covered the war in Kosovo. I covered the invasion of Afghanistan, Iraq, every major conflict between 
about 97, 2003. What is the best thing you like about Odessa? I mean, it's obviously beautiful and, and it's a fairly big city, but it has a very nice small town feel to it. And even if I've been living here for a while now, I still find there's a lot to discover. Let's speak about the latest attacks on Odessa. What specifically was hit? Because you are there now and you you can help us report on Odessa front while we're in Kherson. Well, the question is how we define latest and latest attacks. Uh, the city has been relatively quiet for the last couple of weeks after those really massive bombardments during the summer, which were really terrifying. But of course, the air raid sirens are still a constant companion in the background because the Russians keep targeting the Danubes, which are all part of Odessa Oblast, and they're not letting up on that. I mean, Ismail and Reni, they've been getting hit for months now, and there are just no breaks. As for the energy infrastructure... So far, so it's mid-October now, so so far nothing big has happened in that regard yet. But I'm afraid, very afraid actually, that they're going to try to take the lights and the heating systems out again, just like they did last year. And that's where I'm very afraid, because I live in a super old building in the center of Odessa, and last winter we were just freezing most of the time, and... I really learned for the first time in my life, I really learned what being cold over a sustained period of time does to the body and the mind. Just like everyone else in Odessa who is in the same situation, I would certainly like to avoid the scenario to repeat itself. I was there as well and without any heat or light. Uh, or internet as well, and sometimes no water in cold climate, that becomes quite a challenge. So we certainly hope that this year Odessa will be able to prepare, as they say, better for the uh, strikes. And you have mentioned the ports, Ismail and Remy. Can you speak a little bit about their significance and why, in your opinion, Russians are trying to hit these ports? Because the biggest Black Sea ports that Ukraine had are out of action. So the Danube ports suddenly find themselves in a very unusual situation because those are not big ports. Like before the full-scale invasion, these ports were not even an afterthought. You know, they're, they're relatively small. The reason the Russians are targeting the Danube ports is because they have more or less managed to take out the big ports. And now that the small ports are doing the job of the big ports, they're, they are now targeting them. And the goal is clearly to disrupt, further disrupt the Ukrainian economy. Because as everyone, it's, it's, it's common knowledge, Ukraine is one of the biggest grain exporters in the world. And these are not military targets. They're clearly targeted at ruining civilian infrastructure, ruining Ukraine economically if it can't be beaten militarily. So it's one of those, by any objective standards, very cowardly things to do. Because 
They're not bombing soldiers. They're not bombing military barracks. They're literally bombing grain terminals, ports that are taking care that grain is being shipped out into the world. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's uh, the definition of a war crime, if there ever was one. And as uh, Dmitry Plotinchuk, the speaker for the Navy, told me in the recent interview, the economy is the base of the war because the army is using the material base. How would you estimate the efficiency of the Ukrainian air defense? When it comes to Odessa, I've been living here since the end of March 2022. And... I am in awe, in awe of the men and women in charge of the city's air defenses. You can tell just how good they are at their job. If you look at all the destroyed and damaged buildings, of which there are now thousands all over Odessa, but it is thanks to the soldiers manning the air defenses that... While all these buildings have been damaged, there have been relatively few casualties so far. You are writing for an Austrian newspaper. Let's talk about Austria a bit. What specific actions or initiatives has Austria undertaken within the European Union regarding the Russian aggression in Ukraine? As for every country, there is what the government does and what many people who make up what we generally referred to as civil society. And there may be, at least in my perception, a bit of a discrepancy. Austria, like most Central and Western European countries, have taken in a good number of Ukrainian refugees, and there's a lot of good people there who've been helping and supporting them since day one. But having said that, when it comes to Austria, things are a bit more complicated, you might say, because... While it has been an EU member state since 1995, it is not a member of NATO, and it considers itself a neutral country, which doesn't take sides in pretty much any conflict, and that puts it into this weird kind of limbo when it comes to foreign policy. Like, on the one hand, Austria supports the EU sanctions against Russia, And it supports Ukrainian statehood and it supports the Ukrainian government. But, and unfortunately that's a big but, it also keeps very strong ties to the Kremlin and which it, which it always has. It always has had. I think it was Political Magazine which called Austria Putin's Alpine fortress some months ago. Because a lot of people in Austria have a really hard time severing those traditional ties with Russia. Russia is still Austria's biggest business partner when it comes to natural gas imports. Russia still maintains a massive network of spies and lobbyists and propagandists in Vienna. And because the Austrian government still refuses to crack down on them, it has been getting a lot of criticism, and in my view, rightly so. Because at this point, it's just embarrassing to watch how the Russians are still allowed to act virtually with impunity. So now, of course, there's also Switzerland, which has its own model of neutrality, which is a different one, but it's acting very similar in that regard. But the issue is that unlike Switzerland, Austria is an EU member state. So sometimes, yeah, as someone who was born and bred there, 
I I feel embarrassed. I feel embarrassed by the fact that the government is not taking a more principled stance. What is the coverage right now in Austria of this war, of the Russian aggression in Ukraine? And do you feel that the audience in Austria is aware of the current situation? It's still maybe far from sufficient. I would say that Ukraine coverage in Austria has been gradually getting better. You see, the thing is, considering the resources Austrian media outlets have and how much of them they are devoting to covering Ukraine, there is still a lot of room for improvement. But I would still say in general, coverage has been getting better, mostly thanks to a handful of colleagues who are working also for newspapers. Until recently, there was a major issue with a character who was working for the public broadcaster here. And in Austria, the public broadcaster is called ORF, O-R-F. It's still the most important media outlet there is. It has millions and millions of viewers and listeners in a very sm- small country. And there was this Didushka who was like this Vatnik-like character. Well, let's just explain to our audience that Didushka means an old man in uh-huh. Russian yes. and Ukrainian yes. it would be Didusha. And also Vatnik means a person who is basically pro-Kremlin and pro-Russian and spreading Russian propaganda views. Who had virtually monopolized Ukraine coverage for years, even if he was only working here part-time. And he was just this completely inept reporter who painted a very twisted picture of Ukraine and the war, up to the point where he was just spreading straight disinformation in primetime. And... Unfortunately, because Orf has such a big audience, Distidushka shaped a lot of people's views of Ukraine in Austria for a long time, so long before the war. But on the upside, it does not look like his press accreditation is going to be extended, so he won't be able to do more damage, and that will certainly help improve the quality of the Austrian public broadcaster's coverage of Ukraine which is crucial because it has so many viewers and so many listeners. It just gives you the idea of how important a role of one journalist could be because the stories that we bring to you from the ground can shape the opinions of the whole country and basically shape the political landscape. Austria provided 2 million euros for demining of Ukraine, especially important coming from Kherson Oblast, which is so heavily mined. And also as a member of the Three Seas Initiative, uh, Austria actively supports the Central and Eastern European countries' call for Russia's unconditional withdrawal from Ukraine, and also their commitment to assist Kiev throughout the conflict and post-war reconstruction. How does this stance fit into Austria's neutrality that you just have mentioned? This sort of thing is perhaps one of the purest manifestations of the thin line the Austrians are walking concerning their self-imposed neutrality stance. It's always nice to contribute to ease Ukrainians' pain and suffering, but it doesn't change the facts I was talking about before, about the strong ties Austria is still maintaining with the Kremlin, despite everything. And 
while more and more people in Austria are waking up to the fact that sometimes there are black and white situations in life when any sort of neutrality actually aids only one side, and that is the side of the oppressor, which in this case is clearly Russia, there are also others who who just want to stick their heads in the sand. And those are many in Austria, unfortunately, and these are also the ones who tend to vote for the Freedom Party, which is a far-right, openly pro-Kremlin party that is now leading the polls, or they vote for the Conservative Party, which is not openly pro-Russian, but being the Conservative Party, of course, it has many business leaders with business interests in Russia, and not all of them, but a good number of them are interested in one thing and one thing only, and that is to make money. And if the Putin regime can keep up providing that, they don't really have a problem with what Russia is doing to Ukrainians. Thank you very much for your insight. Good luck in Odessa. Stay safe and we'll speak to you later. Serena, thank you so much for having me. Vladimir Putin's recent announcement in Beijing regarding the regular patrols of Russian Aerospace Forces MiG-31 aircraft armed with the Kinjal system over the Black Sea has stirred concerns. While the Ukrainian Armed Forces Air Force has downplayed the significance of these patrols, reports have emerged that these aircraft may already be stationed at the Belbek airfield. Natalia Huminyuk, head of the United Coordination Press Center of the Ukrainian Defense Forces South, in an interview to Ukrainian TV channel Freedom on October 20th, noted that the presence of MiG-31 aircraft does not substantially change the existing power dynamics. She characterized Russia's actions as manipulative tactics commonly employed in its hybrid warfare strategy. They aim to create a constant sense of threat in the information space, she said. Huminyuk added that when the MiG rises into the sky, the whole country of Ukraine knows about it because of omnipresent air raid signals. And everyone in this country knows that the threat is uniform for the entire territory of Ukraine. Huminik also noted that if the Russians did station the MiG in Belbek, this would be an act of aviation suicide. In response to questions about the use of Russian caliber missiles, particularly after the Ukrainian forces destroyed Russian missiles during transportation in Jankoi seven months ago. It was suggested that this incident served as a signal for Russia to withdraw from occupied Crimea. Consequently, the use of these missiles by Russian forces decreased significantly. The last mass attack happened in Odessa when 12 caliber missiles were used and the building of the seaport was damaged. 
Recent attacks on Ukrainian cities have predominantly involved air-launched and ballistic cruise missiles with limited use of calibers. These missiles have been deployed but not utilized in attacks, possibly to save them for winter. The strategic shift toward high-precision missile may indicate an accumulation of precision weaponry, with potential targets being critical infrastructure facilities, ports, and energy resources. As winter approaches, this aligns with Russia's intention to inflict damage on Ukraine's infrastructure, thereby undermining the nation's economic stability, especially amid growing international sanctions and economic pressure on Russia. As Klaus Gomez-Timder has mentioned in our interview with him on today's podcast, the Russian Federation fails to gain a military victory over Ukraine. It is attempting to undermine Ukrainian economy. However, the whole so-called special military operation is nothing but an act of political and economical suicide, to quote Ms. Humenyuk. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News.
You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.